Oh, yeah. And we're back with another all-new episode of Brooklyn Paper Radio. This is your co-host, Anthony Rotunno, coming to you from the Brooklyn Paper Radio studio in America's downtown. I'm joined by Johnny Kunin. How you doing? How you doing, Johnny Kunin? I'm doing how you doing. My wonderful co-host at the boards. Um, Johnny, we've got a great show today. We're going to be taking a deeper dive into some of the bigger headlines we've reported on last week and this morning because we have reporter Kevin Duggan in studio with us fresh off of a major press conference given by our district attorney, Eric Gonzalez. Um, But before we get to the top prosecutor's big announcement and the rest of the show, we have to thank the people who are making it possible. That's right. Brookdale University Hospital and Medical Center, leader of healthcare in East Brooklyn and part of the One Brooklyn Health System that includes Interfaith and Kingsbrook Jewish Medical Center. Tony, it's not he- uh, Heart Health Month anymore, no. but it is Women's Women's History, History Month? Month, Women's Appreciation. Yes, it's all about the females this month, um, both in Brooklyn and beyond. And as you know, even though it's not Heart Health Month anymore, heart disease does kill more women in the United States I annually. Just, I, you know what? That's a fine way to put it. It's a very dangerous thing it's for dangerous women. It's dangerous for women. It's dangerous for all. But women should get their hearts checked for reasons you know, different than men should or children should. Women, get your heart checked. And Brookdale is a place where you can go and do that and more. Yep. So give them a call, 718-240-5600. Or check them out online and make an appointment at brookdalehospital.org. Tony, what's thank you. up, dog? Thank you, sir. And thank you again to Brookdale University Hospital for sponsoring our weekly shows. We are very grateful for their support. Um, so just like we are bringing you exciting new news from America's downtown, so today did our district attorney, Eric Gonzalez, who over the course of his now two years in office, but more when he was the acting attorney general, um, or yeah, acting attorney, district attorney, sorry, not attorney general. Um, Gonzalez has made a concerted effort to sort of redefine, you know, what, the top prosecutor role is, you know, and 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 perhaps reimagine how to deliver justice at a time when I think a lot more people are looking at how justice is delivered in their communities, right? Um, especially in Brooklyn, which you know is very diverse, and you know you have different neighborhoods comprised of very different people, and you know they're all functioning under the same legal system, um, which you know oftentimes does not thrive on on um sort of specialized points and in terms it's very you know uniform we want to move away from the broken windows policy i think we want to move away i think what gonzalez wants to do is move toward a policy that's a little more sensitive and maybe human in that it kind of is flexible and you know able to be applied to different people from different circumstances in different situations that's the sense that I got from the 17-point plan that he wow, revealed today. Wow, that's a today. lot of points. It's a lot of points, and I think if you have 17 points, it really kind of showcases that this is not you know, some broad one, two, three, these are how we're going to follow it. It's a little more nuanced. And you know, to, to kind of bring us up to speed, or a little bit more up to speed on what those 17 points consist of, we, uh, we grabbed Kevin Duggan, who, um, you know, Listeners, we haven't had an opportunity to do this, but Kevin is now um, your go-to reporter. He's covering, you know, the beats that you love. Downtown, Brooklyn Heights, Williamsburg, Greenpoint, Carroll Gardens, Cobble Hill, Williamsburg. Kevin Duggan? Is that what we call it? I don't know that we call it that. I know you might call it that. Um, But Kevin is our new downtown reporter, and so, you know, we've thrown him into the fire. You've noticed his byline over the past couple of weeks, but, you know, this morning he was right on the steps of Borough Hall following this announcement. And Kevin, you know, I know you are just getting back, but tell us a little bit more about what the district attorney said, what, you know, what he may have said in between the lines of his press release and, and sort of what this ambitious agenda is all about. Yeah. The district attorney announced his Justice 2020 action plan today. Mm -hmm. That's the big name of it. And it really is quite a hefty document. I'm holding it here, as you can see. It's It's orange. Can you get an image of that on on the screen? It's it's such a giant, bright orange booklet that looks to be um, 
not stapled together, but bound. Yeah, um, yeah, it's got a lot to it. But as you said, 17 um, points, bullet points, and the center of it really is to divert um, people away from being incarcerated. I think that was kind of like the nut of his plan, and there are many different ways that he plans to do this. Basically, he's saying that putting people in jail is not always the best way to deal with um, crimes, misdemeanors, what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I thought was quite interesting, he mentioned this later on during the questions from reporters, that he himself, during his over 20 years of prosecuting, has put away many people to jail. And he said some of them he probably didn't have to put into jail. Oh, wow. So that, that was kind of an interesting statement coming from himself. Um, and he approached this uh, Justice act- Action Plan by consulting with uh, academics. So there's the president of the of Mecker, Mecker Evers oh, College. Oh, Evers College, yeah, yeah over Ru- in Crown Heights. Rudy Crew, and then uh, former New York Chief Judge Jonathan Littman, who are, those are the two co-chairs. And those three men, along with a team of, I think, almost 70, if I'm correct a lot of people involved in this experts community liaisons and that sort of um group of people so it was really conceived out of a lot of people's expertise um and the main thing as i said was to avoid people being sent to jail uh be it for drug charges uh, mental health charges and even some he said even some cases of violent crimes that might be motivated by things like mental health issues or or, or drug addictions so it, it's it's basically what he calls it a progressive approach to criminal justice. Now, some of the stuff, um, as I understand it, you know, some of these 17, you know, points, steps, what have you, is already in play. Um, You know, I know a part of the plan was, you know, his sort of decriminalizing a lot of minor drug possession charges, especially related related to um, marijuana. Um, And I also believe I, I saw that, you know, another prong of this plan is the creation of the formal hate crimes unit in his office, which he established lit late last year to specifically address, you know, a rising number of complaints that are uh, bias motivated. Um, but Kevin, what are some of the other things that he hasn't maybe initiated yet that, that are coming down the pike with regard to this, you know, like specific initiatives that will help reduce the number of people that, you know, are being sent to prison. Did yeah. he say? Yeah, he said, so, I mean, there's, a, you know, there's the two that you've mentioned and then there's the other 15. Um, <laughs> there's also uh, one that has been in- implemented or just recently, I think, is the the ant- accountability um, enforcement unit, unit of, of law enforcement. So he wants to make, you know, law enforcement more accountable, basically. Uh, that's already been implemented. Uh, and then one that is close to being implemented is the so-called e-discovery system, which I'm not completely sure on yet uh, what that means. But from what I understand, that it is, it's supposed to be like um, sharing information uh, between prosecutors and defense attorneys through the cloud, which is kind of technologically uh, forward-looking. Yeah. And to kind of streamline a lot of the processes there. Um, so those are the things that are already kind of close to already being or already being implemented then we have things like creating community based or partnering with community-based organizations and service providers uh so to kind of be be on the ground with local communities and hear from them what they should look out for and maybe be a bit preventative in their um approach to criminal justice by making sure they can deal with problematic people before a crime occurs Mm -hmm. um that's one that's going to come down the pipeline uh then um there's also uh <clears throat> enhancing prosecution of, of gender-based violence especially rape uh, and sexual assault cases which have been uh on the rise in in 2018 there yeah. was an uptick in in those statistics um and also yeah. less from what i you know briefly read um maybe a, a shying away from sending minors to court or not to court, but to, you know, prison or detention centers or, you know, finding alternative forms of, of uh, punishment, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Yeah. So he basically said one of the uh, keys to preventing 
crimes or repeat offenders is providing people with educations or, or job prospects and putting them in the criminal justice system makes that a lot harder. So he's going to try and avoid that as early as possible. So also in schools and with, you know, students that might be problematic, he's going to work, his office says they're going to work on being more preventative rather than bringing kids essentially to the criminal justice system straight away. Got it. Our, um, our beloved producer intern, Natalie, who is joining us in studio today on her spring break. Spring break. (laughs) Um, I believe she had a question coming out of the press conference. Natalie. Yeah. So Kevin is, you described that, um, this is kind of an alternative for people who have had um, a variety of offenses. Was there any backlash or questions posed to the um, to Eric Gonzalez about like, you know, where these people go because I can imagine that the people who are on the receiving end of you know a violent crime or anything they might want a harsher punishment. You know. Yeah, absolutely. He he was asked several times. First off, is what will deter future criminals from doing things if they see that they might not go to jail? That was one criticism that he drew. The other one was preventative. Uh, poli- or criminal justice, you know, has a bit of a minority report feel to it. Yeah, it people does are feel being... a little like you're being patrolled before, yeah, before you're actually. actually Wait, so that was a movie reference to that movie? With is that what you were doing? Yes. Okay. Yeah, wow. That was that wasn't my idea. Somebody asked that question specifically. I wish I could credit Tom Cruise, but I can't. Um, Not a bad movie for no minority or pretty high up on the cruise list. Still in my holds opinion. up. So I guess to address the first thing about deterrence is okay. that. As he said, in his you know over two decade career, he's put many people to jail, and he's seen what that's done. And oftentimes, victims of crimes didn't necessarily want or think that they had to that the criminals had to go to jail. Like they didn't think that was the best idea. Um, what they want is to be safe or for the person to be held accountable. And he said that we've been stuck in this narrative where accountability automatically means being locked up for a certain period of time. Whereas if you lock up somebody for a couple of months and then they come back out, he essentially said that doesn't really help much at all. So his uh, re- rebuttal of that was saying that there are other measures such as uh, you know trying to help people uh, be better engaged with community, engaging with the with the perfect or suspect's family or something like that. Just kind of att- um, go at them at a personal level rather than have the punishment and then. Uh, com- from confront them with it. So right. I guess more on an individualistic level. And on the surveillance uh, question, I wasn't too sure. Uh, you know, he didn't give such a clear answer. In my opinion, it was more based on uh, we'll be getting feedback from community <laughs> groups rather than we'll have you know patrols on the street kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, and people will fault me for saying this, but in my opinion, and this is just an opinion. I mean, the system as it's been, you know, where people are getting locked up for the various crimes they've committed certainly hasn't stopped other people from committing crimes, you know, like, and I think that that argument can always be made. But I also think that if you look at history, you know, we've we've followed, you know, the system of, you know, arrested, tried, sent to prison, and it doesn't necessarily stop future criminals. So, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with approaching it in a more nuanced way you know the 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 pre-policing question i think yeah there are there based on what he's saying you know there are concerns about um invasions of privacy and you know where where you draw the line but i think um as far as you know thinking that it will just lead to an insight of, or it, it will incite more crime because it's not as strict. I don't know. I feel like that's kind of one of those things that people, it's the first line of defense. It will, I mean, obviously it could do that, but. Yeah, I will add as well that he mentioned when he said, you know, we've tried this uh, incarceration approach for decades now. And he said that that is the most expensive and least effective way to deal with criminals, which I thought was kind of interesting as well. And a lot of that money that you save in not putting people in, in jail for years can be reinvested in the community as well. Right, which, yeah, you know, the costs of of that prison industrial complex are expensive, and, you know, they're costs that some some of which are we all share. Um, Obviously, 
I don't even think we realize it. Um, and the other thing too, you know, that this makes me think about is how, you know, last year after Dorothy Bruns hit and killed those two kids on Ninth Street in Park Slope, you know, we recognize the anniversary of that death last week. You know, a lot of people wanted justice in the wake of those deaths, but then, you know, going through the system as it was, facing 15 years in prison, the defendant, you know, reportedly killed herself. And that is not, and I only say reportedly because, you know, we never confirmed with the medical examiner that she, in fact, Wait, the committed driver suicide. of that car? That's news to me. Yeah, in October, she was no, found okay. dead in her home next to a bottle of pills and, you know, what was a suicide note. Wow. And, you know, that's not... I don't, I think, I don't, I, you know, in the, pe the people who we've, whom we've spoken with in the wake, which aren't that many, but Natalie, I know you were on the site last week and there were some people who, you know, felt like they were more disturbed by how her part of the story ended, you know, and, and that's not justice to me. That isn't justice either. You know, people don't necessarily want an eye for an eye, you know, but if people are facing you know, 15 to more years in prison, like it, it, it could push them to that place where that's the only alternative. And then there's no real lesson learned or justice delivered. You're just left with two people dead, three people dead four if you count the unnamed, the unborn baby that died after the crash. Um, so, you know, I think that exploring other options is certainly something that we should be doing. You know, the system is what it is. Yeah, I, I do have one more uh, kind of more positive example in that respect, and that is um, he talks about, you know, if you're addicted to drugs or you have mental health issues, you know, if you're addicted to opioids, you'll you'll face the fear of death and still do opioids. Like, you might overdose, but you're still going to do opioids. So. Right. Facing the you've learned that firsthand exactly, and facing the DA will not scare you if death doesn't scare you. Um, so one of the stories I've reported on is, is, is a young man who uh did get kind of I don't think it's exactly under this program, but a similar kind of attitude where rather than send him to jail for, for, for burglary charges, the judge at the time um gave him the option of, of doing going to rehab treatment instead, essentially. And now, as far as I can tell, he's fully recovered, uh, you know, functioning member of society, uh, works at the rehab center, gives back to the community. I think he's 23 at this point or something. Uh, so it's about two or three years ago that this happened. But just imagining if he went to prison at that time. Right. You know. Right. You know, it probably would have just hardened his convictions and the decisions that he was making, you know, that led him there. And, and instead, he got an opportunity that seemingly changed his life. Um, so the, the nuanced approach seems worth exploring. Um, and certainly this is an issue that we'll continue to cover. You know, the district attorney literally just made the announcement about, you know, he's been touting this Justice 2020 initiative, but, you know, today was his first comprehensive sort of lineup of how that's going to play out over the next year. And I think a lot of the bullet points, 17, the ones that aren't in place yet, you know, he's set a goal of ne end of next year, end of 2020, end of 2020 yeah. to kind of have it all wrapped up. So needless to say, it's something we'll be following. But, um, you know, it's he wants it to be a model for offices across the, the country. So, you know, one more reason everybody will be looking at Brooklyn over the next year and a half um, is to see how this plays out. Um, so, Kevin, thank you for covering and for joining us to tell us about it. Get you a round of applause right, if you. I can find it. We've got that studio audience in here somewhere. There they are. <laughs> wow, where did they come from? There, you know, we pack them in tight here. Those are all of Natalie's friends visiting from out of town on spring break. Mm -hmm. spring the live break. studio audience. Um, Kevin, we're going to send you back to your desk. Um, but, you know, we are going to move into our next segment, another um Another story that is not new in Brooklyn, uh, but is sort of playing out anew, um, is this outbreak of measles that has kind of spread among certain communities in certain neighborhoods since last October. Um, most recently, a child who attended class at a yeshiva in Williamsburg within the Orthodox community there um, who was infected with the virus unwittingly affected, infected 
21 new people wow. by exposing them there. Um, so it sort of set off a rash of, of new reminders, announcements, what have you, of the importance of vaccinating against virulent diseases such as the measles. Colin Mixon, our reporter, um, was sort of hopped on the case after the recent exposure and outbreak. And, you know, he spoke to some health department officials. Colin is joining us in studio to kind of just reiterate, you know, the information he received from that agency whose representatives couldn't make it on the show today. But, you know, what they're saying in the wake of the outcry and also what politicians are saying, especially those among, you know, those orthodox communities, um, you know, they're kind of amping up their calls for vaccination. But Colin, uh, what... What is going on with the measles right now? Uh, hey, Tony. So, um, you know, there how have... worried should we be? Because I'm worried. Well, personally, huh. um, I don't know if you should be quarantining yourselves just yet. Um, <clears throat> you know, basically, the, the, as far as we know, around. there have been 121 cases since October. Okay. Um, citywide or Brooklyn wide? So, 120 of them are. In Brooklyn. Wow. Okay. There's one from one of the other boroughs, um, but they every single one of them has affected uh, someone, mostly children within the Orthodox Jewish communities. Um, most recently, within the past month or two, um, a single yeshiva has been home to more than 20 cases alone. Right. Um, which is what is that? Like a sixth of. Yeah, that's that would be a sixth of of 120. Um, Don't ask me. I'm so I mean, the, and the way it's the way it started that. is the city has ordered, um, you know, the schools within the communities where they're seeing these cases, um, to exclude any any child from class who hasn't been vaccinated, and the reason for that is because you know a case like what we're seeing at this Williamsburg yeshiva could happen where a kid who hasn't been vaccinated uh, comes in, he looks fine. But he um, he's pre-symptomatic. He has the measles. He's just not showing that he's sick. And then the next thing you know, the measles sweeps through the school, and you you've got almost two dozen cases. Do we know the signs and symptoms of the measles on this show? Does our show? Natalie's working on it. Okay, Natalie, yeah. thank you when you have it. Yeah. Um, so, but I mean, it you know, it's it's which bad as, news. You, as some you don't of, want it. And as some you know, some of the. Folks who've read that story and have kind of weighed in on it pointed out, you know, the fact not only the fact that, you know, the kid had it, but that just underscores how many kids also did not have the vaccine, you know, in yeah. that classroom, assuming they were all children who were infected. I don't know if there were some educators and some children or what. Um, I, I would assume I don't know exactly what the breakdown is, but I know that overall the overwhelming majority of the people infected have been children. So I would assume that. And most live, you know, within communities inside Borough Park in Williamsburg. Is that where the city, in terms of Brooklyn, is that where the city is kind mm -hmm. of confining? So, yeah. you know, Natalie, what we got, um, what should people be looking out for, you know, especially in those neighborhoods, you know, if you see people displaying what? So measles typically show up in young infants and children. And according to the CDC, it begins with either high fever, which can spike to more than 104 degrees Fahrenheit, and then there's cough, runny nose, red, watery eyes, and a rash breaks out three to five days after symptoms begin. Yeah, and the, you know, and another thing to know is that um, the the incubation stage for measles is you know a week, anywhere from a week to 20 days. That so, you could be pre-symptomatic, but you know can infect other people. Oh and wow! So it, if you're seeing symptoms it, and you know you've been interacting with that person there's a good chance that you've been exposed or other people have been but if so. you've been vaccinated so you should get vaccinated all right yeah yeah and is it I a one the... is it a one-time vaccine like if i got it as a child do i need to get it again i don't know that's a good question maybe natalie can look that up i know there's you need multiple shots um it's like a it's a process to get up to date right but... right it's not a it's not a single injection I yeah. was thinking this is like the precursor to our seasonal allergy show, which is probably coming up in like a couple weeks. I feel like we all weeks. have a bit of seasonal allergies yeah, they're coming. right now. They but I right don't, around the corner, man. I don't think that there's symptoms of the measles. No, but and it's important to know the difference. Well, I was once, you know, I thought my friend was <coughs> sick with like 
you know, SARS or something, and it turned out just to be a random cold. Well, and I think the measles telltale sign is the rash, but it seems like mm. by the time that develops, it might be too late. Yeah. Is it, how fatal is the measles? Um, it can be. It can be fatal. It's not, you know, it's not especially fatal, but, you know, you can develop pneumonia um, and other complications that can ultimately kill you. Well, on that, it says that about one uh, on the CDC website, it says about one out of four people who get the measles will be hospitalized or one or two out of the thousand people with measles will die um, even with the best uh, care. So it can be serious, especially since it's in young children. Yeah, brutal. So it's just don't take the risk, you know? Yeah, I, I you know, the I city is urging vaccines. I think kids go to vaccines. the doctor. Kids are supposed to go to the doctor, you know, for a checkup once a year. You know, get all your shots. Enough evidence is out there that demystifies, debunks any alleged relation between vaccinations and autism. So we don't have any anti-vaxxers In humans on the show. and dogs. Right. You know, for those who still may be worried about getting Fido vac- vaccinated. Should we bring an anti-vaxxer on just to give their take? To tell no. you that no, Probably they don't not. believe you? No. Okay. Um, In the spirit of an anti-vaxxer, you're like, no, I don't believe that. Well, you know, and I think it's telling when, when you know, when Kalman Yeager, Councilman Kalman Yeager and Chaim Deutsch, both of you know, both of whom represent large swaths of the borough's Jewish communities, um, they've all since I don't I can't I don't know if they've been out encouraging vaccinations since October, but I know since this most recent outbreak, you know, Yeager not even not even Jaeger and Deutsch, but also members within the Orthodox community. Uh, high-ranking rabbis. They are encouraging it. Yeah, I mean, everybody's, you know, it seems like officials within the community and elected officials are, you know, playing ball and trying to, you know, get people to vaccinate their kids. Keep this down. Yeah. Well, you know, in any case, it's an important story. I mean, it's, you know, it reminds everybody that, you know, go get the vaccine. Yeah. For the good of your fellow man. um, Really? And woman and child. Um, and obviously, Colin, you know, he's on the beat now, so we will keep you informed if there are any new outbreaks. But hopefully, you know, this most recent one will kind of help get everybody on the same page and end and the spread. Because it's, you know, it's scary. You read about this, it seems like a biblical thing, but no, it's happening today. Yeah, and to keep you guys updated, I just pulled up on the New York City um, government website. They have a breakdown of the recent infections as of March 5th, 2019. So Bensonhurst, there's one confirmed case of the measles. Um, in Borough Park, there's 42 confirmed measles cases. Brighton Beach, one travel-related case. Midwood Marine Park, one confirmed measles case. And then Williamsburg, 87 confirmed measles cases. So there you go. Our yeah. listeners in Williamsburg, really. And Patient Zero allegedly contracted it on a trip to Israel. Is that... Agent Zero? Patient Zero. Oh, sorry. Zero. Yeah. Um, Israel also is having a measles outbreak. Which, going on right now, um, and so there, there have actually been four people who were traveling from Israel who brought it allegedly who brought were it back. Sick. Yeah, huh. but that's not the only thing that Colin came in here to talk about. No, quickly, right? you know, from one tragedy to another, um, we, you know, Colin um, last week attended a community meeting where some locals in Bedford Stuyvesant uh, came together most recently came together, it sounded like it was an ongoing campaign, Mm -hmm. to force a businesswoman from the apartment in which she operated her home business. Um, But she wasn't just, you know, she wasn't selling insurance. What was she doing? Um, She was a dominatrix sex educator who was hosting workshops for, you know, paying customers who would come in and she'd teach them things about bondage and, you know, spanking your boyfriend and... Um, pegging and all that fun stuff. A cornucopia of fetish-related classes this woman taught, but her yeah. neighbors were not happy about it. They, you know, they accused her of bringing transients to the neighborhood, or maybe not even. I'm maybe putting it too nicely. I don't know. Um, yeah, she called them. So they have hosted two meetings of the local block association on Quincy Street in Bedsty. Um, and in the most recent one, which I attended, a woman, Lori Miller, who lives next door to Charlotte Taylor, who operates... Charlotte is the dominatrix. She operates the Taylor Collective. Is that her real name? Uh, 
It is, okay. as far as I know. Yeah. Um, anyways, she was very upset about this business, and she called all of the customers that go there alternatively transients and creepy. Um, What's the definition of a transient? So a transient is somebody who um, travels, who doesn't have a fixed location and travels for work. You know, so like a seasonal laborer would be somebody who's a transient. Somebody who always comes, on the move. Uh huh. Right. Somebody hmm. who comes from a different block to a business on your block, and then and then theoretically leaves. goes home. So it's not yeah, really it's not an a transient insult then, right? It's not insulting. I think it I was, don't know that it's. It I think it was meant, meant as an insult. It was meant to be derogatory. Huh. Yeah, okay. uh, but it's it's not like. A very charged <laughs> term. Yeah. yeah. Did they? Were there any complaints of certain sounds coming from the apartment? Um, some some people complained. Um, nobody told me, told this to me specifically, but the Daily News also wrote a story about this, where they quoted somebody who said that they heard uh, sounds of whips and moaning coming. Whips and moaning. Yeah. So that's... I can't speak to that directly, but there might. See, have been I always some... think like the worst. But I know of... that they they blacked out the windows. I mean, the, ah. the the thing that struck me is that nobody had um, any complaints about you know practical things that were bothering them. Um, you know, someone someone was concerned about the effect this would have on the children. Think of the children. Oh, I gotta pull that sound. Well, I mean, Simpsons. think of the children with regard to the measles. Right. Right. But but there was never any there there was never it was never demonstrated how these people would interact with the children um you know they were or inside. were there children at inside. the meeting you know did anyone bring their kid you know like uh no <laughs> not that i know of um but you know this this is happening inside the windows are blacked out um so interesting interesting most interestingly to note you know before we move on to our next topic um for you know is is that in reporting this you know as any good reporter would, you went to the city's Department of Buildings to find out what the you know what what the rules are, laws are for operating a home business such yeah. as this. And it sounds like if 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 Madame Taylor falls within certain regulations, like what she's doing is not illegal. Yeah, it's not strictly illegal. Um, there's definitely some regulations that govern home businesses that she would have to adhere to. Um, she would have to live there. Um, at the place of the business and then be an employee of the place of the business. Um, and the business could only take up a certain portion of the residential of the dwelling. Unit. Yeah. Um, inspectors have gone there, um, but they haven't been able to get in. Buildings and buildings inspectors can't get things like warrants to invade someone's home. You need to, you need be, to be there invited in to let them in. And so they say they've gone down there, but uh, haven't had any luck getting in. So the, the jury's out on whether or not She's strictly adhering to all these various regulations, but she could be breaking the law. Yeah, but my understanding—I mean, it's—it's it's definitely doesn't. It's not a criminal violation, right? It and, would be more of an administrative. Yeah, it would or, be more of a thing where they would come in and tell her what she's doing wrong, and then you know she could take steps to ameliorate it. There might right. be she maybe got fined fine. or something. Yeah, you need more Lysol wipes. In this regardless, place. I mean, she's she's looking to move. You right, know, that's the that's sort of where oh, we okay. end it. Is she's yeah. admittedly said she wants to leave, um, and yeah. as far as I know, has created fundraising campaigns to help relocate her business, um, which yeah. makes me wonder how profitable it is. But if we want Colin to do some next level reporting, though, he's obviously he has to take a class there, right? I mean. Well, I don't think anybody's questioning the legitimacy of her curriculum. Right. Well, I just, I mean, you know, we got to find it. We need a source on the inside, you know? Um, yeah, well, we can talk about that. <laughs> I think we she first needs to find a new home, it sounds like. Um, you know, that story, uh, Colin did a great job jumping in there. You may have read it um, other places, but I think, you know, he kind of, furthered it along in the Brooklyn paper way um, and got down on the street with the people who are making the complaints um, and spoke to them directly, which, you know, you might not find in, in, in other accounts. So we, you know, never a dull moment in this borough. And on the topic of the children, I'd like to send Colin back to his desk and thank him for taking the time to join us. Thanks, guys. <clears throat> Quite a story. Yeah, it's, you know... You never know who your neighbor's going to be. Um, I always think like the worst kind of neighbor I could have would be a drummer. 
you know, yeah. like someone who practices yeah. the yeah. drums. An at-home musician. That really would be tough for me. Well, you know, I've, I, you, you could argue that perhaps they're practicing some kind of human drumming. Well, we should do a like a write-in about yeah yeah seriously. We should do a write-in uh, from people who uh, neighbor stories. You know, stories of sounds yeah. coming from thy neighbor. The strangest sound I've ever heard. Um, would this be a, a, a good time to mention our sponsors, or should we get some distance between? I think that it would be sponsors? because you know public health is very important, right. and whether you know it's the measles, whether it's heart health, whether it's you know some type of injury you s- got, keeping in a yourself class. healthy with regard to your relationships. Yes. Right, on a more serious. There's note. a place that you can do it in your backyard in Brooklyn, and that is Brookdale University Hospital, the sponsor of this week's program. That's right. We Johnny. always say they're the leader of healthcare in East Brooklyn, and they're part of one Brooklyn health system that includes Interfaith and Kingsbridge Jewish Medical Center. Tony, we've been over this. It is no longer Heart Health Month, but it's Women's it's Women's History, History month. month. And as we know from our Heart Health Month coverage, heart disease is the number one cause of death in women in the United States. Very Johnny, serious. Johnny thinks it's a little too intense when I say killer. Yeah, I think it's a but little But that's grim. what it is. It's not good for women. And <clears throat> um, so you should really r- love your heart and know your risks. Get it checked out. Go there. Uh, at Give them a call, 718-240-5600, or go online, brookdalehospital.org, and make an appointment. Brookdale University Hospital, the leader of healthcare in East Brooklyn. What's on tap next? So, you know, as I said before, speaking of the children and thinking of the children, we have Julianne McShane back in the studio um, because, you know, a lot of transit-related stuff popping out of her district that's really roiling uh, Brooklynites um, on either ends of spectrums of issues. You know, we had her on to talk about these alleged, you know, calls for bifurcating our train service again, which listener Nancy Ford was not happy about. Um, But this week, following that news, she's got a story coming from the Office of State Senator Andrew Gennardis, who recently implemented a task force in the district he serves in Southern Brooklyn, which is, you know, a handful of neighborhoods from Bay Ridge, Diker Heights to Sheepshead Bay, Midwood, Mill, uh, Mill Basin, Marine Park, driving, you know, car Brooklyn, car country. He established a task force based of based compromised of local civic leaders and, and other experts to kind of implement, you know, practical policy changes that could make streets safer in that area. And as part of that, he in Albany introduced legislation to dramatically expand the city's school zone speed camera program, which was a very hot button issue last summer when the program was sort of tied to legislation that ultimately didn't pass because the Senate went home for their, they 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 ended their session before anyone acted on it. And then there had to be an emergency, you know, order by the governor to get it back up and running. And now Gennardis is like, you know, this is enough. And also 140 cameras, which are currently on are, are also not enough. And he wants to, add hundreds more. And Julianne McShane had that exclusive last week. She spoke to the state senator and um, she's here now to tell us a little bit more about what he's proposing and also whether or not this thing even has a chance up in Albany where, you know, last year it couldn't even get out of a committee. This year, the legislature's turned from, you know, questionably blue to real blue. And the governor is also advocating for some increase, maybe not as much as Gennardis is, so there may be more momentum. So Julianne, mm-hmm. let us let let's what's going on down there? Well, um, we should have a better sense this week. The first step in the process actually would be that the city council has to pass a resolution, right, asking the legislature in Albany to pass uh, to pass this bill, since it would only apply to the city. So, um, when you have a state a law that you know, or a statewide law that that would only apply to a certain part of the state, you need. Um, that extra step. So the city council's meeting on Wednesday, so that would be an opportunity where they could pass uh, this resolution, which is called a home rule message. Um, 
we uh, state Senator Gennardis seems to think that uh, the council will be supportive and that this bill will pass. Um, it is, it, like you said, it is a, a significant increase, so it would more than quintuple. That is a word. Quintuple. What does that quintuple mean? Twelve? Five. five. Ah. More than quintuple the uh, current 140 cameras. So it would authorize the city to install up to 750, and it would also uh, change the scope of how the cameras operate. So they would be on longer, currently... Much the, longer. Right. So cur the current law basically allows for... Um, them to be on an hour before school starts and an hour uh, until an hour after school ends. The new uh, the new law would be 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. that they could be on. It would greatly expand the area that the cameras can um, scan and operate in. So it would be a quarter mile radius around the school rather than just a quarter mile uh, on the on block. The, right on the block. Um, it would require the city to send a, an annual report to the, the leaders of both uh, chambers of the legislature with information on how they spent the money that they oh, earned from the tickets. Because um, like you alluded to, this, this became something of a political football last year, uh, especially um, considering that, you know, last we had last year's elections and Senator Gennardis was running against former state senator Marty Golden, who was who's um, had who's, you know, danced around this issue. Right, flip flops yeah. many, many a time. So um so so one of so so the the kind of the Republican one of the Republicans um lines of attack on these cameras, in addition to sort of the um ambivalence against the so-called surveillance state was also the idea that this was just a revenue moneymaker for right, the city. Right. A lot of people right? think it's a way to, for the city to make right, money. Right. Right. Because these these cameras, they issue $50 tickets if you're driving uh, 10 miles per hour or more over the speed limit in school zones. So the speed limit in school zones is 20 miles an hour. So if you're driving 30 or over, you automatically, these cameras photograph your license plate, you get a $50 ticket. In the mail, done. Right. So, um, and speaking of State Senator Golden racked up hundreds of dollars in uh, in these fines over the years. I th probably thousands. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but he was a known speeder. Um, and so one of the lines of attack from him and others who dis who didn't support the dramatic increase was this is just a way for the city to make money. And so the the thought process apparently with this bill, uh, with the new bill, is that. Um, uh, and, and this stipulation requiring this annual report the would encourage, would right, would encourage the city to to take the money that they're earning from from these tickets and reinvest them back into street safety measures, so that people can't necessarily just complain of this, you know, vague. You're taking it out of my pocket and putting it into yours. Right. right. Now, I have a question about the um, the the legislation that council has to pass mm -hmm. because so right now Gennardis has introduced this bill and uh, Manhattan assembly woman, Deborah Glick mm -hmm. issued it's sort of co mm -hmm. legislation in the assembly. Mm -hmm. But governor Cuomo also has a, a provision to up the number of speed cameras to 290, which is far less than the 750 that Gennardis and ostensibly Blick's bills right. call for in his executive budget, which is, you know, a massive document that has to be signed off on by April 1st and is a way for him to pass a lot of, you know, legislation and, and, and other priorities that, you know, he doesn't need to introduce singularly last year. You'll all, you know, readers of this newspaper and listeners of this broadcast will remember that is how they passed the use of design build to construct, reconstruct the Brooklyn Queens Expressway. You know, they've got it in the budget and through the budget and through passing the budget that, Author authorization came to be. So my question is, do does council have to vote on that measure if the, you know, with regard to the term in the governor's budget, or is that a way to make it happen by skipping that council step? Because ostensibly it'd be doing the same thing. So the governor's, um, like the home rule thing, you know, right, right. So the, so the governor's proposal is entirely separate and his, his inclusion of, of this in his executive budget was basically a way to ensure that these cameras would stay on and, and um, expand. Because as you as you mentioned last year, the the Republican controlled Senate failed to pass the bill, um, not just to expand the cameras to 290, but to even preserve them because them the, the tw 2013 authorization expired last summer. So um, after a summer of back and forth um 
you know, this became becoming a political football. Cuomo worked with uh, Cuomo passed a deal with de Blasio and the council to keep these cameras on um, basically by executive order, by an emergency executive order. So apparently he's been signing that every month since last September to keep these cameras on. So from what I understand, the inclusion of um, this this speed camera expansion in his executive budget was basically, you know, a way to show that I think he was committed. uh, He and and the the legislature were committed to expanding these cameras. So um, so 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 now that this is uh, that this is a bill that's been introduced um, you know, the, the council has to go ahead and ask the legislature to pass it. So I don't know if that answers your question, but it's it's separate from. I guess I was just governors. wondering, and this is so this is like a policy tangent that doesn't really matter to the larger conversation. But like, you know, if the governor proposes something in his budget that right. if, that affects a municipality that. Oh, would the council lawmakers have to go, are not doing any? Yeah, would the, would council, the council have, have to, to approve I'm that? Not, so, would the council have to approve the governor's? I don't think so. I I, th- I don't think that they would. It's not so because the governor had had basically asked for that. Right. Um. I don't think that that it would have been required. This was the first that I had learned of this. Policy yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's interesting. Proposal. Um. And certainly, but I a, could be wrong. Also, certainly a way to make you know smart things die because it's another hurdle you have to jump through. Right. Um, or not smart. I'm not endorsing either way. But, you know, the reality of it is, is, you know, it sounds like based on the, the legislation or the provision in the budget and the legislation in the legislature that these things are going to be preserved. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of how many more of them we might see. Right. And, you right. know, the 290 number might be sort of that middle ground where, mm-hmm. you know, if it passes in the budget. Mm-hmm opponents of the bill might turn to and be like, isn't this enough? Like, mm-hmm. can't, right. you know, and maybe Gennardis's and Glick's bills are modified, you know, right. so that they can make it out and, and there's some, but either way, you know, it's a huge change from where we were last it summer is. where, you know, we were just fighting to keep them on. Now it seems right. like, you know, the need for them to be on is not even under debate as much as, you know, just how many more we right. need. They have, certainly taken money from people's pockets, but they, you know, as, as you've reported doggedly more than once, they've also allegedly proven effective mm-hmm. by statistics. Right. Right. So yeah, they have, they slowed down speeding drivers and prevented collisions, um, in like 60% of case, they, they slowed down speeding drivers by apparently 60% in the year after they were introduced, according to the, the city DOT. So that was back in like 2014. Um, and uh, there's a, we reported last year, there's a poll that shows that the majority of people in this district that Gunnardis now represents support not just um, keeping them on, but expanding them. So 65, so it was about 80% of people in the district who were polled uh, in this poll commissioned by Transportation Alternative Street Safety Group about 80% of people supported keeping them on, 65% reported uh, supported um, expanding them. And I think that that's probably due in no small part to the advocacy of, you know, a lot of um, a lot of street safety people um, and a lot of parents of children who were hit and killed by speeding cars have led kind of this movement for for more speed cameras. You know, they staged a lot of protests and rallies last summer um, calling for Senator Golden to support uh, the preservation and expansion. So... Well, he didn't, and look where he is. Mm. No, he did kind of. I shouldn't say that. Right. He he flip-flopped. He did, he did. at some point, um, but did. it may have been too late. I don't know. Right. Um, he he supported the, He said he supported the 290. He introduced another bill then calling for like more stop signs and traffic lights, so it was always a little unclear. Um, well, either way, what will be clear is that we'll be following these pieces of legislation as they, you know, the, both the budget and the, you know, the, the Gennardis bill as they, you know, move or don't move um, through the legislature up in Albany. And Julianne, thank you again for joining the show and sort of bringing our listeners down to your neck of the woods. Hey, yo, traffic, traffic. Looking for a chance to drop that. Those were some great sound effects. Um, and, you know, The use of really great sound effects means one thing, and that is it's time to round out the show. That's right. With none other than National Treasure and Arts Editor Bill Roundy, who will be momentarily stepping inside the studio to share his list of where to go and what to do in the days ahead. Something tells me it'll be heavy on the St. Pat's Right, a lot of green, a lot of green. 
A lot of green. Um, as you know, the Brooklyn St. Patrick's Day Parade steps off next Sunday through Park Slope. Um, as you heard on last week's edition of Brooklyn Paper Radio, it will feature its first formal LGBTQ marchers awesome. in its 44-year history. So that will be a historic event. And needless to say, also very fun. A ton as, of fun. As it usually is. Um I have my What to Do with Bill Roundy intro today. I was workshopping it last week. Oh, wow. If you recall. And uh, this week... Are you ready to, to test it out? We or? bring you What to Do with Bill Roundy. Well, I'm very excited by that intro. Yeah, oh my goodness. <laughs> If only, I don't know. Could, I, if I only don't, that could play every time you walk the audience. around. Yeah. Wait, is that the uh, bizarre machine? Uh, Hope we have from the, Looney Tunes. It, I mean, rights I mean, to that audio. I, I mean, a yeah. completely copyright-free. Uh, I tried to cut it. it up so that it would be not like a you know <laughs> too much of a, version yeah. or anything too. But I, I think it. We're gonna need it's to, dangerous to even talk about. We might be. Uh, we have to cut this whole. We need to appeal to the district attorney's justice 2020 initiative if we play more of that music. Not supposed to question where this came from. Um, I've never heard that song before, but <laughs> I'm very excited that Bill has musical accompaniment. Um, Bill, we were just telling everyone we thought we we were guessing that your your list may have a lot of green to it this week, but perhaps we're wrong. Um, you jump in and and what are we doing with you this week? Well, it is uh, you are correct. St. Patrick's Day is coming up, and uh, I started my St. Patrick's Day celebration a little early yesterday. Oh yeah, in how'd what you, how sense? how's that? I went to see the Coogan Brothers play over at Hamilton's. Oh, uh, so got to hear some traditional Irish tunes. Yeah, we got all all Danny Boy. Um, That's like that, the most traditional one I can think of, but it's not that, really like. Scottish, isn't is it? Is it Scottish? It's Scottish. Well, you tried, you know. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah. Uh, love, love, love. What the hell Haroo, haroo. Uh, that. Anyway, another song. Okay. So I'm still recovering from that, but I figure I can inflict that on uh, all the rest of you the rest of this week. Yeah. Um, Where can people go to get their Irish on and get, you know, their other f- activities on? Well, one of the, uh, the biggest... Uh, traditional St. Patrick's Day activity, of course, is sipping down a, a glass of Guinness. Absolutely. So if you want to actually learn what you're drinking before you uh, throw those down, uh, the Strong Rope Brewery has started a new program, their new salon series, where they have special guest speakers talking about different styles of beer. Oh, wow. And they're going to have a rep from the Guinness Company talking about dry stouts. That's really exciting. I mean, I on, I went to Ireland last spring and we visited the Guinness factory and and it was actually a really you know they have seven floors dedicated to telling you where this you know wow beer that you're drinking is coming from it's and how it's made it does have a really interesting history and so i would you know i don't know that it made it taste better um but it was you know it was you it was cool to learn there's more than just you know some ingredients thrown in a, a vat and you know here it is there you go Right, and again, this is the traditional dry stout, um, and uh, and Strong Rope makes their own version, so there will be a oh, tasting there, a, a side by side sort of thing. Yeah, oh, that's interesting. Uh, but Sounds then like coming, fun. coming up on Saturday, there is a an extremely non traditional stouts that you can try. Oh, be, yeah, I think I know where you're going here. Yeah, there's an event called Pastry Town. Yes, sponsored by Brooklyn's own Other Half Brewery. Uh, Love those guys. They're they're expanding to Williamsburg. They yes. are coming up in the uh, in the spring, I believe. Yeah. So what's happening? Where take us to Pastry Town? What's going on? All down? right. Well, uh, Pastry Town is inside Industry City. Uh, I feel there's a town and city joke there somewhere. Oh, totally. Um, but it's going to be noon to four p.m. But they're going to have a bunch of breweries that are bringing their dessert stouts. So mm. it's stouts that are uh, made with. I don't know, chocolate cake or macadamia nuts or coffee or chocolate <laughs> or... Uh, Any sweet sort yeah. of And so it's going to be a lot of imperial stouts, a lot of very strong, you know, 12 to 15% alcohol by volume. Wow. Which is why they're only going to give you a four-ounce glass so you can sample them. These are not full pours. These are sample pours. But you can get as many of them as you want. Fair enough. Uh, it does cost 100 bucks to get in. Which is the big limiting factor there. Yeah. Wow! That's 
That's a low price. Not really, though. <laughs> it's a, what's a four-hour event? Yeah, uh, can, but you're not going to taste these anywhere else. And also, uh, because what could possibly go wrong? There's also going to be professional wrestling happening at the same time. Now, you know, I love my about. dessert stout with a side of professional wrestling. Exactly. You, now I'm in. I, before I was like, oh, it's another drinking thing. But now, yeah. So is this going to just be? A, there's going to be a ring that's it's happening in while people sip these stouts. I believe so. Yes. yes. There's going to be about four different sessions. It's the sort of the local New York uh, area wrestlers, professional wrestlers. It's uh, a wrestling circuit, I think we call it. In the and, and apparently, two of the employees of Other Half Brewing. Are, in oh that circuit, God. are also wrestlers. All right, so that's, that's very amazing. exciting. Let's hope when, they're both when, still employed when afterwards. Where, what time? That is, and this uh, is the hundred dollar event. Yes. Okay. And where and when? Uh, that is Saturday from noon to four p.m. at Industry City. That sounds like a winner. Yeah. So yeah. Very cool. exciting. Uh, and then, of course, the next day is St. Patrick's Day itself. The so, big day. So there's going to be the parade in Park Slope. Uh, again, that cu- that kicks off at one in the afternoon. That's at one o'clock. Yeah, we um, reminded people of how this year will be historic and that it will welcome the first LGBTQ marchers. So, steps off at one. Do you have a favorite parade? Is there like just a general? There's a lot of parades in the city. Is yeah, St. Patrick's Day high up on the list. I think it's a good parade. It's yeah, a good one. But you know, I don't think you, you know what we love St. Patrick's Day, but uh, the Labor Day Caribbean. Parade. Yeah, I mean that's Rome. sort of, and also, and also the Mermaid Parade. Okay, is another. You know, I think I think those are two that give St. Patty's a run for their money, and also you know two that are really uniquely Brooklyn, um, nice. in terms of you know you're not going to see that spectacle many other places. Certainly not in any of the other outer boroughs of this city. Well, and one of the things that makes the St. Patrick's Day Parade unique here in Brooklyn is, of course, that we have two of them. Yes. So we have on St. Patrick's Day itself is going to be the Park Slope Parade. Which then, which bills itself as the Brooklyn one. Yes, it does. But... And, and then there is the Bay Ridge St. Patrick's Day Parade, and was happening one week later. If you really, you know, if you don't want to join the masses or, you know, the official Brooklyn one, you have a chance to go to the hyper-local Bay Ridge one, yeah, the next weekend. Or why, do both. Why a week later? Is there... I would imagine because they didn't want to conflict with okay. the Brooklyn one. Yeah, I imagine there are a lot of piping groups that are maybe marching in both. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, uh, after after the parade, you have a lot of options. There are certainly plenty of Irish pubs all over Brooklyn. Oh, absolutely. Um, but if you want to head down to Bay Ridge, uh, to the Wicked Monk, the Kenny mm-hmm. Brothers Band is going to be playing. So you can get those traditional Irish... And Freedom Tunes out. If you haven't heard enough in the street, you can go and have a drink and hear some more in at the at the Wicked Monk? The Wicked Monk, yeah. Classic. Do you have more fun things, or is it my time for uh, for it, my Nets check? It is time for you. Time yeah, for what's you to going show over on Let's at the Parkway Center? Let's go well, Nets. It's... Uh, the Nets are on the road this week. Oh, uh, all right. Although Best Monday of luck night, to them. yeah, they are playing Monday night, which will be yesterday. We don't time has fluidity with our show, but what's going they're on? Playing on Monday night away. No, well, they're actually home on Monday night, oh. but then they will travel because playing at the Barclays Center between the 13th and the 17th is March Madness College Basketball. Oh. Yeah. So men's Atlantic 10 division. I'm not really a college basketball guy, but yeah. see the people are who are the playing fi- for free. Are these the finalists, or uh, is this, this just is, part of the tournament? I think that this is the... Now, I don't know, because right. like I said, I'm not really big on college basketball. So this is, I think, the pre-tournament tournament tournament, but I don't totally know. But you listeners... Go find out. Barclays Center. I'm sure and the tickets these, are affordable. The, right. Although these are really ticketed. Know. These are not. No, it's not free to go. I don't believe. Got so it. college not, basketball, Atlantic 10, go cheer on your college or the college you wish you went to. Well, there you go. Yeah. So there you go. A lot happening at the Barclays Center, although not so much with the Nets this week. No. Although but, they are still set to make the playoffs. So let's go Nets. Let's go Nets. Keep on keeping on, boys. Well, I think that about does it. Yeah. I certainly have a full agenda for the days ahead and um, enough news to drive me back to my seat and start making sense of it all. 
Um, I want to thank you all for tuning into this week's show. For real. And thank Johnny for, again, co-hosting another fantastic episode. Natalie for making sure we stay on track and on schedule. Brookdale, Brookdale Hospital Jinx. for sponsoring another show. And reporters Kevin Duggan, Colin Mixon, and Julianne McShane for filling in that all-important context behind the news you read about every day. Tune in next week when we'll be back with more from Brooklyn. Goodbye. Peace out, Brooklyn. Brooklyn.